We're going to do things a little differently this morning. Um, for those of you that don't know, this is Ken Birding. He's uh, been a member of our church for a long time. For those of you that do know, then this is still Ken Birding. Um, uh, he is actually Dr. Ken Birding, although he'll never tell you that, uh, and he's a professor of Bible, and he's got particular passion and interest in issues related to the Holy Spirit. He's written a couple of books, one on spiritual gifts, one on walking in the Spirit. We have a rich, rich team of people here in our church who can teach and preach well, and we never have enough space or time to get everyone into the mix at any given time. Um, so. There's always more that we can do, but I've asked Ken to join me this morning because of his particular focus. Uh, we're going to answer some questions that we've been given. If we have time, we'll take questions from the floor. I don't know how that will go. Uh, if you have questions that haven't been answered by the time we're done, please do reach out. We would love to talk to you. We want you to understand, um, but we don't just want to understand. We want to grow. Uh, our faith is not simply a mental state. It's not a cognitive practice. It's a whole life reality that flows from what we understand. But it has to flow into every aspect of our being, and especially so when we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you would pray with me, um, we'll pray and ask God's help. Ken will share a few thoughts that are on his heart, and then we'll just kind of go back and forth taking a few questions, and then I'll share a couple of thoughts and uh, well, let's just ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, we are uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here and uh, to just come into your presence through worship and to listen to you as you speak through your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that in this moment you would clarify for us um, the things that we need to understand, help us to not just grasp mentally, but to respond fully uh, you're the one who works in our hearts. You conform us to Christ. Would you do that even through this time? Would you help me? Would you help Ken as we interact with these questions? And Lord, uh, just honor yourself among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be with you also, along with Robert up here. I just, have, I just want to say a couple things coming off of this series. First of all, has this series been a blessing to you? Yes. Amen. Um, one of the things I want to say, just before we go into some specific questions about the Holy Spirit, is that whatever we do, we need to keep the central things the central things. So that's really key. Um, most of us, are, I don't know if most of us, but many of us in this room come from one of two backgrounds. Um, some of us come from church backgrounds, like I came from, where, where most people were allergic to the Holy Spirit. They didn't like to talk about the Holy Spirit. And uh, for me, learning about the Holy Spirit was simply reading the Bible, um, believing it, and obeying it. So I hope for some of you that's been really helpful during this series. Um, for some of us, we come from backgrounds which uh, overemphasizes the miraculous side of the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's all we talk about in relationship to the Holy Spirit. And for people who come from that type of background, I hope that this series has really been helpful in just helping to focus on, again, what the Bible teaches. I, I, I hope you've picked up that the people who've been preaching up here have been really trying to stay with the Word of God and trying to say, this is what the Word of God says. Now let's believe it and let's live it out in our lives. Um, in particular, I think that um, we get caught up sometimes on um, one area or another, and we get so uh, kind of myopically focused on that. One time I just went through the letters of Paul and tried to add up, all right, what does he especially focus on in the letters, uh, uh, in his letters? 
regarding the Holy Spirit. I found out that one big area he talks about is um, the Holy Spirit's work in salvation and how the Holy Spirit works with us and bringing us to faith in him. And the other main area, the real central gravitational center, is the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification, which without the big word there, just means living the life that God has called us to live in holiness before him. So how the Holy Spirit helps to change us and move us into a right relationship with him. That is the gravitational center. It is not the so-called spiritual gifts, even though sometimes if you ever take a class on the Holy Spirit, you'll find people talking a lot about that topic. So whatever we talk about today, let's make sure that we keep the central things the central things. And then the other thing I just want to remind you of is I'd like to go back to a sermon that Kyle gave a lot earlier in this series, which centered on Galatians 5.16, which is walk in ESV, but I say Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is so helpful. If you leave with nothing else from this series, walk away with that one. They are mutually exclusive ideas. When you are walking in the Spirit, you are not carrying out the desires of the flesh. When you are carrying out the desires of the flesh, you are not walking by the Spirit. And so, what do you need to do? Not simply say, I need to try really hard not to sin. It is walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In fact, this is so important. If you'll just bear with me, I'm a teacher. Can we just um, make sure that we've got that memorized before we walk out of here? Now, I memorized it in a different translation, but I'm going to do it in ESV because that's the Bibles that we use here. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. Will you do that with me? Pick it up as we go. But I I say, say, walk by by the Spirit, Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. Let's try it again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. Do it again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. Come on, one more time. Let's do it. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. Now, honestly, if you're really going to memorize it, we'd have to do it about 10 or 15 more times. But that's good enough. Make sure you say that over and over again. One of the practices of my own spiritual life is to take something like that, and this verse perhaps more than any other. There's some others also that have been important. And you just, throughout the day, you just keep speaking it to yourself. Ken, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out, or sorry, you will not gratify desires of the flesh. Other translation. But I'll say that to myself over and over again. And if you can do that, that can be really good. If, you, if you're preaching the truth to yourself, it can help you to actually live out the things that God uh, wants you to live out. All right, shall we go to some questions? Go for it. All right. You want to start? Either way, you want me to start? I got one right here. Great. Okay, so I got, this actually came, um, came via Instagram. Uh, the question is, should I forgive those who have wronged me? And I'm glad that question came up in this context in particular because there's a very specific tie. Let me read you some verses here. Um, in, in Ephesians 4, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
There's the Holy Spirit. There's our desire to not shut down what he's doing. And then here's what it says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, I gotta check my translation too. Clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So yes, um, it is always my goal and my actually responsibility spiritually to forgive those who've wronged me. Um, a couple of things to quickly flesh that out. Uh, forgiving somebody doesn't mean that everything goes back to zero. There's not an automatic reset. There can be consequences. There can be shifts in relationship. But I'm no longer actively holding against people uh, the wrong that they've committed to me. And sometimes that's incredibly difficult. There can be psychological dimensions of that I need help with. There is more to the spiritual reality than just making a choice. Um, and in fact, one of the things that helps me an awful lot when I'm wrestling through that issue is uh, in Peter where it says that Jesus, even, even when he was being reviled, he did not revile in return, but instead kept entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Um, Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them. While they're wronging him, he's not waiting for their repentance. A repentance opens up fresh things, but there's an initial state where I can release to God. I can release myself to God. I can release my hurt to God. I can release my vindication to God. And I can uh, forgive at an initial level. And I think that's really important because if I don't do that, I, I hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I realize that the practice of this can be incredibly difficult. And uh, that's one of the reasons it's helpful that the Holy Spirit's involved, because he's the one who can also empower me. If I've been deeply wronged and greatly hurt, um, it's not just a simple, hey, it's okay. But actually, forgiveness is never a simple, hey, it's okay. It's, it's, a, more, it's a more robust thing than that. And it, it sometimes requires me to lean very heavily into God. Uh, but that's why it really belongs, this question belongs uh, in, in a series about the Holy Spirit. And let me also offer, if you have areas that you're particularly struggling with, that's, that's why there's other spiritual leaders in this congregation to help walk journeys with you and, and uh, find somebody who can help walk a journey with you if, if that's a deep struggle that you have right now because of a deep hurt or a deep wrong. Um, I got a couple questions here that were very similar to each other, so let me do them together. One of them is, review the difference of praying to Christ and to the Spirit and to the Father, each role in prayer. Who do we pray to? That question. And is there a right, right way to pray or a wrong way? Are we supposed to pray to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ, or by the power of the Holy Spirit? If we don't pray this exact way, is this wrong? Will God not hear our prayers? First of all, let me just start off of that, uh, of that one. Yes, uh, a basic way of praying, a basic way of understanding prayer is that we pray to the Father because or on the basis of what Jesus did through his death and his resurrection, which gave us access to the Father and by the power of the Spirit. In fact, that might be perhaps the most basic way to understand prayer. Jesus taught us to pray our Father who art in heaven. So we address God as Father um, having said that, um, Christians all throughout history, because they have been trying to wrestle through the uh, deeply profound truths of God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God who is three persons in one essence, uh, have often prayed to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, have often prayed to the Holy Spirit also, and there seems to be no problem with that. Let me give you an example of that. There's a really interesting verse right at the end of 1 Corinthians 16, 
where um, Paul throws in an Aramaic word, which is really interesting because he's writing in Greek. And all of a sudden, right at the end of his letter, he goes, Maranatha, or in English, Maranatha, Maranatha, which means, Our Lord, come, which is a prayer to Jesus, right? So right there, and it goes all the way back to the very beginning, Palestine, you know, where they're speaking Aramaic, and somehow it even comes into the regular part of the church where they're actually praying to um, Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with praying to Jesus, and certainly not to the Holy Spirit either. I actually went through and took a, took a, um, a look about six months ago at um, how the early church dealt with this particular question, and it turns out that they prayed um, occasionally um, to the Holy Spirit, to particularly focusing on roles that he um, was involved in, such as comfort or conviction of sin or um, guidance or things like that. Yeah, in fact, if you, if you listen as I'm praying, and hopefully you're praying with me, often I'll pray a Trinitarian prayer right before the sermon. I address the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and it's usually according to the roles they have. I would also just remind you of Romans 8, it says, uh, you know, the Spirit's searching my heart, and I want to pray carefully and the best that I can, but at the end of the day, I just cry out to God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the Spirit will, in fact, interpret my heart in ways that are aligned with God's will. So there's freedom in praying to God, and worship, too. Worshiping the Spirit's appropriate, too. The spotlight's on Jesus, but the worship can go any member of the Trinity. Want me to do another one? Yeah, that'd be great. All right, Romans eight sixteen. How do we know and experience the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God? Um, how can I hear His voice? Is another one that I've got here. How, how do I call on the Holy Spirit? How do I know in the Spirit? How can I hear His voice? And I, I had a couple others in here that were very similar. Basically, I think these are coming down to not just the question of um, that we are children of God, but how... How does the Holy Spirit bear witness to our spirit? So this, this is going to be a real hard question to answer. Let me just be honest. And, and as we go through these, re- realize that uh, neither Robert or I, I know uh, the answer to all the questions that could be asked up here, especially if we go to the floor, just to say that ahead of time. Um, but, you know, if we know pieces of this, we'll definitely answer that. And in this particular case, I think that the question that people have been asking me a lot about this is, Let's just be honest. What does it feel like to be led by the Spirit? Or what does it feel like for the Holy Spirit to work in your heart? All right. I don't want to get totally off on the feeling side of things because um, at the end of the day, the, the Word of God is what guides us. And the primary way that God actually leads us by His Spirit is through the Word of God. And so to the degree that our minds and our hearts are aligned with the Word of God, to that degree, um, we are understanding what the Holy Spirit is actually saying to us. But there are times when the Holy Spirit directs us more, um, more specifically, and we need to be sensitive to that. All right, so what does it feel like to be led by the Spirit? <sighs> what does it taste like to eat a... What does a clementine taste like if you've never had one before? How do I describe that in words? It's very difficult, isn't it? Um, until you actually had a taste of it, you can only do it by analogy. So let me try this analogy. I think most people who know Christ have had a moment in their life or some moments in their life when the Holy Spirit has actually been doing something on their spirit. They just uh, may or may not have actually identified this. But here's one place that I think almost all of us can relate to. Have you ever been tempted and you are starting to give into that temptation or you are moving towards sin and you hear as loud as anything, stop, 
don't go there. That is the Holy Spirit who is seeking to stop you from moving there. Most of us have experienced that at some point in our lives. All right, now use that as an analogy. What did that feel like, for lack of a better word? And start applying it to some other areas. Maybe that'll be helpful. But at the end of the day, uh, look back on your life with the Lord and see, are there any moments where there's been some, some time where the Holy Spirit has helped to guide you into something, move you into something? Sometimes when you pray in the morning, uh, the Holy Spirit will put something on your heart, and sometimes it just feels like a burden. Like, I have to go talk to someone about this, or I need to pray in this particular way. Um, That's probably the Holy Spirit working on your, on your heart, whether or not you have identified it as such. Yeah, I think you can grow in your sensitivity, and if you're, if you're seeking to be guarded by the, the Word of God as you understand it, and then holding your... Um, response with an open hand. I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward in faith because I think you're actually speaking to me, God. But, um, you know, this is, this is kind of a sense that I have, so I'm going to be modest about it. I, I think then you're free and you can, you can grow in that understanding. Um, I have one here that um, uh, says, what's the role of the Holy Spirit in spiritual warfare? Um, and the short answer is everything. Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit are engaged fully, and even what is spiritual warfare is kind of a broad topic. When I'm battling with sin, that's spiritual warfare. When I'm battling to understand the world rightly and battling the world system, that's spiritual warfare. When there's a direct assault of some sort on my spirit or even on my body by some uh, evil force, that's spiritual warfare. So it's pretty broad. The Holy Spirit is completely involved in that. Um, And and just as a a quick... um, kind of reinforcement, what, what Ken started off with is there's, there's kind of these poles that we tend to line up with, and our purpose is to say, if you came from the allergic end, stop being allergic. You know, let the Holy Spirit actually be God actively in your life. If you came from the, the wow, isn't this exciting end, be careful. Um, and, and just understand that um, I don't always have to have it completely figured out. Is this the Father? Is this the Son? Is this the Spirit? It, it's God. God is working, God is distinct, and yet uh, it's not always clear. So spiritual warfare, the Holy Spirit's actively involved in, in Matthew 4. It is the Spirit who leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Uh, in Matthew 12, when Jesus is being challenged by uh, rulers who aren't trusting God, uh, saying, you're casting out demons by the power of Satan. He says, no, 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 no. If that's the case, how are your sons casting out demons? You know, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand Right, Lincoln didn't invent that phrase, Jesus did. Um, and, and then he goes on to say, but if, I'm, if by the power of the Spirit I'm casting out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the Spirit's actively involved. Uh, the Word of God is central. If you, if you look at Ephesians 6, the most uh, frequently referenced passage about spiritual warfare, um, the Spirit's mentioned twice at the end. The first is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. He's the one who's authored this. He's the one who uh, helps us to apply it. He's the one who brings it to mind. He's the one who helps us to, to wield that weapon. And then all of this is done praying in the spirit. So that undergirds everything as he guides and empowers us. Um, and then actually the most significant piece of spiritual warfare is just our identity in Christ. Because we are in Christ, we can stand. And that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's baptized us into Christ. So the Holy Spirit is wrapped up in every aspect of spiritual warfare. I don't have to be able to 
sort out the threads, where's the Father, where's the Son, where's the Spirit to engage, but uh, there, there are some, some little helps that hopefully will help you understand more. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Uh, perhaps only that, um, that when we're talking about being, uh, depending on where you're coming from, from this extreme or from this extreme, uh, potential, potentially regarding to the, regarding the Holy Spirit, we don't want you to come to like a happy medium in between where you have a little bit of the Holy Spirit but not too much. That's not, what, that's not at all the, the desire here. It's trying to say whatever the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit, let's fully own that and walk in that. I've got one here. What will be the role of the Holy Spirit in the tribulation when Antichrist is revealed, especially in pre-tribulational view when believers are absent and the Holy Spirit resides in believers? Told you I wouldn't get easy ones. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. For I divided me this them one. up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's your privilege as being senior pastor. Um, I'm pretty sure that this question is actually coming out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There is one verse in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 that is referring to a one who is called the man of lawlessness or the lawless one here, whom we normally refer to as the Antichrist, like the big, big bad guy who comes at the end of the age um, and is going to deceive people. And in this passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about how um, he, there's going to be an, an apostasy or a rebellion of some sort probably tied up with him, and there's going to be, um, he, he is going to come out at a very sudden time at the end. In other words, it's not going to be gradual, he's just going to show up. And then it says, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will, he will be revealed. Um, and, and that right there the, is a really hard verse to interpret, just so you know, but probably it is referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in restraining sin. Because that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing in the world right now. He restrains sin. Say that you're in a particular area of society um, where um, you are praying for the Holy Spirit to, to, to keep sin from just breaking out there. The Holy Spirit is restraining sin in many different areas. But toward the end of the age, that restraint against sin will be removed. Now, some people say, well, the way that the Holy Spirit is restraining sin is particularly because the Holy Spirit is residing in believers. And because of their presence in the world and the work of the Holy Spirit in them, because this happens during the tribulation period, that's removed. This points toward the, the uh, rapture of the church has already taken place and believers have already been raptured out. Now, Christians disagree about when the rapture of the church is going to take place in the beginning of the tribulation, sometime toward the end of the tribulation before the final wrath is poured out, and um, at, at, right at the end of the tribulation, right as Jesus is returning. Uh, but, uh, but this might be a very weak argument for a pre-tribulational view of when the rapture takes place. That's the answer. It might be an argument, but it's not a strong one. It's a weak one. And I think most of the arguments in this whole discussion are weak anyway. Uh, on, on, on almost every side. It's a, that's why it's difficult to... That's right. That's why it's difficult. I mean, on, on every side, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, here's one. 
Um, oh, by the way, if you have any questions about that issue, talk to Alan Holtberg. That's right. Let's throw him under the bus. <laughs> I, I'm serious, serious about that. He edited a book and wrote a chapter on that, uh, on the whole tribulation, the rapture of the church. He knows everything there is to know about it and way more than either one of us do. That's right. And I'm also serious about throwing him under the bus, too. That's Because exactly right. <laughs> he's not in this service. He can't protect himself. That's right. um, so here's another question. Uh, a little while back, Robert said, don't be miracle-seeking or don't be miracle-hungry. Uh, how does this fit in with the verse, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy? That's a verse that comes from um, 1 Corinthians 14. Um, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And I'm really glad that question was asked because it actually highlights my point um, the point of that statement is not to say don't be open to the miraculous. That's a big part of what this series is about is actually do be open to the miraculous. And if God wants to do something amazing, praise God, please bring it. But don't, don't make it about the miraculous. That's where the error has come in so often is people get hung up on the next amazing event. And the amazing thing is Jesus, not some powerful thing that happens. That's, that's amazing in its own way, but uh, 1 Corinthians 14 actually reinforces that idea. The whole argument of 1 Corinthians 14 is to say, you guys are hung up on signs and wonders, and they're particularly hung up on tongues, and he's saying, hey, the, the way the Holy Spirit works, miraculous and mundane, is the work of the Holy Spirit, and if you're gonna seek something, seek something that's gonna have the biggest effect on other people for the sake of the kingdom of God. And prophecy where you're speaking words that are understandable that can bring conviction and change in people's lives is a more fruitful uh, gift in that grid than, say, tongues. So I think, actually, 1 Corinthians 14 is exactly on point with what I was trying to say. God wants to do miraculous things. Let's welcome him to do that. But understand that our job's not to pursue the miraculous. Our job's to pursue God. And he decides what happens and when. And if you want to say, I'm really excited about uh, and I want to go after something, uh, Paul's already said, be excited about and go after those things that actually have the most fruitful impact. And that's not necessarily going to be wrapped up in whether it's amazing or not, uh, because the Spirit works all kinds of ways. That's good. Yeah, let me add one thing to that. It is possible that the la that last um, imperative that you just said in 1 Corinthians 12 earnestly desire the greater gifts, and the one that you said right there, um, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy, 1 Corinthians 14, is not a command to you and me individually, but a command to us as a congregation that we should put greater emphasis on, these, on the particular things that build up the body of Christ. And since the context here is about tongues, which they're overemphasizing in the Corinthian church and does not build up the church as much unless it's interpreted, but even then not as much as, as prophecy that emphasize things like prophecy. And he doesn't mean predicting the future here. He means speaking words of edification and exhortation and consolation, which he defines right there in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. Yes, which we believe God still does. However, understand, our context is different. 1 Corinthians is a very early letter. Most of the scripture hasn't been written down. And so they had the Old Testament scriptures. They had the things that they had been taught by the apostles that were being repeated. They didn't have much of what we have in front of us. And so God would work in particular ways in their services to say, hey, say this to people. I want them to hear that. He can still do that. But he's put so much down here, this is still where we want to anchor because he's, he's told us so much already. So, 
All right, I've got another one here. Can you give us an example of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Thank you, Pastor Robert. <laughs> it says that on the card. It does. It says that right on the, right on the card. They're I can, and my stunt double is going to stand in for me right now. Um, all right, so this is a question that people ask sometimes. I actually had a, a student about 10 years ago um, where I'm teaching that um, was very, very concerned that she had committed the unforgivable sin because she had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about Matthew 12 here. There are, other, there are a couple other like parallel passages, but that's the key one. And verse 31, if you want to look at it. But um, here, here is what is going on in this passage. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or what he also refers to as the sin which cannot be forgiven, is hardening your heart against what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in pointing to the truth of who Jesus is. That is, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not accepting the message of the gospel about who Jesus is, and that can never be forgiven. Anything can be forgiven. Uh, Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, uh, or what is um, also called the sin that can never be forgiven there, is not murder. That can be forgiven, and we see that clearly in Scripture. It is not adultery. That can be forgiven. That is clearly clearly uh, exemplified in Scripture. It is not suicide. It is not anything you can think of apart from hardening your heart against the Holy Spirit and not... Um, and not receiving the message that the Holy Spirit is seeking to work, moving you to understand who Jesus is. That is not believing in Jesus. Um, let, me, let me very quickly tell you why we know this. There are some indicators in the passage, but there's also a very clear um, conceptual you say, parallel between that and Matthew chapter 3 when... Um, when John the Baptist is speaking, and the passage that that's in, it has something about the Pharisees and about bearing fruit, and um, one other thing, just can't think of it right now. Anyway, um, and that takes you right into that passage that John the Baptist is, is talking about, and where he's saying, bear fruit in, in, in regards to repentance. In other words, it's a repentance discussion. That's what he's talking about. Matthew has already put it on the table by, by citing John the Baptist's words. Now we see that actually coming up again. It's not just what Jesus says that we need to pay attention to, but also how Matthew frames it. Matthew has already given you a theme. He follows through this theme of bearing fruit, which he also ties into the words that come out of our mouth. It is not the words that come out of your mouth by themselves, that somehow make you doing the, uh, doing the sin or not, but they show what's truly in your heart. So very specifically on this question, can you give me an example of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Um, say you've been coming to Redemption Hill Church for a long time, and you have heard the message of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit has been moving on your heart and drawing you, and you're like, no, I, I won't do that. I am not going to respond. I'm not going to repent of my sins. I'm not going to turn to Jesus and receive the forgiveness that he's given to me. That's an example of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is the thing that can never be forgiven. And uh, in line of that, sometimes people are kind of tortured by what Ken just said and understand it in context. 
Um, oh, I think I may have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and I'm grieved over that. If you can still grieve over that, if you can still actually intelligently ask the question, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? The answer is no, you have not, because your heart is not, it, it's not just a hardening in a moment, it is this, it is this set hardening of the heart. And so um, it, there's both a warning and a, a word of hope. So if you listen to the gospel and you keep saying no, there's a warning. There may come a point or you become hardened, and that's it. There's, there's no hope at that point because the gospel's the only hope and you've just shut it down. Um, if you're still wrestling, there's always hope. And so the encouragement is instead of hardening, you know, respond, respond. Um, here's one, how do you explain the Holy Spirit to unbelievers? And uh, see, I didn't give you all the hard ones. Um, Let me read you a couple of verses and give you a couple of thoughts here. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and and tongues, and and, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We're, We're familiar with that passage. A little bit later on, the people are amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others are mocking. They said, they're filled with new wine, and Peter says, no, this is the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's a quick flow there. Um, If the question that's asked is how do I explain the Holy Spirit and how do I justify that the Holy Spirit is real, uh, I think the answer is the Holy Spirit justifies himself. There's an assumption that the power of the Spirit is already evident. So if I have a life in which the power of the Spirit is not evident, I really don't have much to uh, explain uh, because it's, it's, it, you know, it's it just a concept is not going to go anywhere and there's really no point. If the Spirit is active in my life, there will be something that people can see. They may misinterpret it. They may go all different directions with it, but there's something there. Uh, in that context, then how do I help them understand what's going on? I think a, a simple way of understanding is first, who is the Holy Spirit? I don't have to get into a, a, uh, a complicated explanation of the Trinity. I just need to say the Spirit of God is God who's come to live in and to partner with and to empower me as he makes his presence and his person accessible and experienced, right? That's the Spirit who's come in. He gives me power, he guides me, he works, and he makes uh, Jesus and the Father and himself real to my everyday reality, my experience, and, and I have access that way. Uh, and if I need some sort of analogy to try to explain how that works, the Bible gives us a couple. One, you have to be a little careful with because people can go the wrong direction with it, and that's why even in the explanation, Paul stops it. He says, it's kind of like being drunk, but not like that. Um, you know, when you're, when you're filled with alcohol, it's influencing everything. So the Spirit is the one who's in me influencing everything. I'm making choices. I'm still responsible, and yet there's this pervasive and powerful influence that shifts everything. Or in, uh, in Peter, in Second uh, Peter 1, when it's talking about the uh, inspiration of the Scripture, it says that the, the prophets of old were moved along uh, by the Holy Spirit, and that's actually a picture of wind filling the sails of a ship. So, you know, it, the Spirit is this, he's a person, he's not a force, but he's a person who exercises influence in me. Um, beyond that, it's, it's hard to get a tight grasp on because I mean, maybe you have a tight grasp on it. I don't. Um, it, it's hard to understand a transcendent God as a finite being, but there's hopefully some help for you there. And if it's about justifying that the Spirit is real, that happens as I actually live by His power. 
And then it's just a matter of explaining it. Um, I've got one more card here. It just says, question about the Holy Spirit. Read Jeremiah 17.9. Does it, I think you mean does he, transform our deceitful hearts if or when we listen? Jeremiah 17.9 just says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I think we just want to say, yep, that's right. Our hearts um, are hard to understand. They are sick, and they need Christ more than anything else. Does the Holy Spirit transform our hearts? Yes. When you come to Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you truly give your heart to Jesus Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and a transformation will start Sometimes it will seem painfully slow to us, and the deceptiveness of our hearts will show up. It really will. But if you back up just two verses in Jeremiah 17, here's what Jeremiah is saying. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but his leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. That is what happens, actually, as you deeply trust in the Lord, as you give your heart day after day over to the Lord. As you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, this day is yours. It's not mine. I want to trust in you in this day. I want to depend upon your Holy Spirit to strengthen and guide me. That's great. Um, if you have other questions, uh, we're, we're out of time. I want to share one quick thought. Uh, please send them to us. Please grab one of us. We would love to talk to you and interact. We want you to understand, not just so that you can file it away, but so that you can actually, by the power of the Spirit, live it out. Uh, let me encourage you with two things as we bring this series to a close. The first is, uh, in, in Zechariah 4, there's a huge challenge facing the people, and God sends, it's, it's such a great challenge, and they're so overwhelmed, God actually sends two prophets to prop them up. One is Haggai, the old prophet, who remembers of old, and Zechariah, the young one, and they're both kind of propping up the leadership, saying, trust in God, trust in God, and, and they're supposed to rebuild, and there's just no way. And um, it's in that context that Zechariah says, here's the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, who's the prince that's trying to rebuild. Um, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And he talks about rebuilding, and he says, you're going to lay the capstone of this thing, and, um, and you're going to say grace did it. It's all grace. God has done this great thing. Um, if, we get, uh, if we get our partnership with the Spirit right, we will experience God's power. If we don't, we won't. And it's only the power of God that will actually accomplish anything that's enduringly valuable. So it's really important that we would just continue to pray and to listen and to respond to the Word and to the Spirit and just seek to walk daily in His power. Um, that, above everything else, is what's going to guide us forward walk in step with the Spirit. Um, the other thing that I want to um, also remind us of, we've taken some real time to focus in tightly on the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons there's such a confusion is because the Spirit himself doesn't focus on the Spirit. 
It's appropriate for us to pray to the Spirit. It's appropriate for us to worship the Spirit. But the Spirit is, is really trying to point us to Jesus. And uh, in, in John 16, where he talks about sending the Spirit, he says he's going to speak of me. He's going to give you the rest of the message you can't bear now. He's going to bring glory to me. That's the Spirit's job. And one of the ways I know I'm really walking in the Spirit and experiencing his work is Jesus just gets bigger and bigger and bigger in my life and in my heart and in my affections and for us as a church. The focus is ultimately on Jesus. We want to be open to and attentive to the Spirit, and obviously we worship the Father, but, but Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, and the Spirit is constantly putting our focus there. And um, he functions, I, I had the privilege of being out in the desert oh, like eight days ago with my telescope out and beyond Barstow in the middle of Nowheresville to get dark skies. And it wasn't so dark because it was a campground and everyone brought all the light with them. We've, we can't see the sky because of the uh, glare of our lives and then we get away from the glare of our lives and we take it with us anyway. But people came up and there was this one couple that came from the uh, motorhome that was right next to us with the lights in our eyes. And uh, they came over to look through the telescope and um, when the woman looked through the telescope, um, there was this audible gasp, and it was just this, she was stunned at what she was looking at, and then she said, I think I'm going to cry. Harold, you have to see this, and she just stood there soaking it up, and then when she walked away, she said, we're going to turn off our lights. The Holy Spirit is like, if you will, that telescope. And we've filled the world with so much glare, we're not listening and we're not seeing that Jesus is there and he's beautiful and he's, he's transcendent and he's majestic and God is doing all these extraordinary things and the Holy Spirit is saying, look, 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 understand and let that transform you so that you walk away changed and you walk away hungry for other people to experience what you've experienced. Craig wrapped the preaching segment of this series up in... 2 Corinthians 3, where it says, we are, as we behold Christ, the Spirit transforms us from one level of glory to the next. Let that be our heart cry, that we would allow the Spirit to really show us Jesus, to experience the Father, Son, and Spirit together, but really understand what they have done as Jesus has come into the world and who he is and all of his beauty and all of his majesty and fall down and worship and let him transform us and change us so that we go away saying, you gotta see this, you gotta see this, you gotta see this. That's my prayer for us. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for what you've done. Father, for sending your son into the world and then sending us your spirit so that we can know you intimately and to empower us to walk the life you call us to. We are just small people, Lord, and we need your help. So would you help us, Holy Spirit, live for the sake of the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.